Well, we're in our last week of our Sermon on the Mount series until after the new year, beginning next uh, Sunday. I'm sure everybody's going to be here the Sunday after Thanksgiving. The Sunday after Thanksgiving, beginning next week, we'll begin our Advent series, which is the four Sundays before uh, Christmas, where we anticipate and wait for and look forward to the coming of Christ. We look back at his first coming and we anticipate his coming that is to come. But this is our last week in this Sermon on the Mount series until then. And, and the thing that really I want us to get, one of the things I want us to get in this series about this sermon is that this sermon that Jesus was giving to this group of people was a revolutionary sermon. And it still is today a revolutionary sermon. And it is revolutionary in the truest sense of the term. In the truest sense of the term, it was revolutionary. Jesus came. With no less goal. He didn't come to just set up a religion. He didn't come to do anything except to absolutely turn the world upside down. He came to make right all that had been made wrong through Satan and humankind's fall. Jesus Christ came as a Jewish peasant, but yet as he stood there on the side of that mountain as a Jewish peasant teacher preaching to that crowd, he was preaching a revolutionary sermon because he was and is a revolutionary. He is the rightful king who has returned, who was returning to his kingdom that had rebelled against him. And he came and here's what he came to do. This is what first Peter three eighteen tells us that Jesus came to do. It says for Christ also suffered once for sins. The righteous for the unrighteous. Just bookmark that little phrase there. The righteous for the unrighteous. That, here's why. That he might bring us to God. Jesus came as a revolutionary to make right all that has been wrong. He came as the rightful king to set right the rebel kingdom that had turned away from him and had run away from him. He came to all of us who are individual rebels trying to run away from him. And he came to bring us back to God. And he was going to do so by dying the righteous, that's him, for the unrighteous, that's you and that's me. He didn't come with a conquering army, though one day he will come with a sword in his hand. He didn't come with power and rule to overwhelm his enemies. That would be us. That would be everybody, by the way. He came to die the righteous for the unrighteous so that he might bring us to God. So picture that Jesus, that Jewish peasant Jesus the second person of the Godhead, eternally begotten by the Father, who by the word of his power created all of creation. And at that moment, though he was a Jewish peasant on a hillside at that moment in a way that we cannot comprehend at that moment was at that moment as he is addressing that crowd is holding the world or the universe or creation together. He stands to these people who don't yet fully understand or appreciate who he is or what he's come to do. He stands in front of even his closest disciples who don't yet fully understand and fully comprehend who he was or what he came to do. 
his closest disciples who would walk with him for several years and live day and night with him, who would eat meals with him and live life with him consistently and see him, they would not yet understand for a, until the very, very end what, who he was and what he came to do. And he stands here in front of this crowd of people who are standing before him, not understanding who he is or what he came to do. And also people in this crowd that are gathered around him will surely be some that will be in the crowd a few years from now who are going to cry out for his head. And we, we have reason to believe that he knew that was coming. That's, he knew why he had come. He spent most of his ministry talking about the goal that he was working towards, which was the cross. He stands in front of a crowd, including people he knows will call out for his death, his wrongful death in several years. And right by his side, one of his disciples, and maybe he knew the whole time, we don't know, but he knew one of his closest disciples are going to betray him. He stood before his enemies with his enemy at his side. And he says this, he says, this is what love looks like. He, he says, I know you guys sing about love. I know you write poems about love. I know you have plays and now we have television shows and movies about love. I know you talk and sing and write about love, but here is what love looks like. It looks like the righteous for the unrighteous so that I might bring you back to the Father. This isn't like the love that you have known, he says. This isn't like the love that fails you. All of us have had people who professed undying affection and love for us, and yet they turned around and failed us in the next breath. All of us have been those who have professed that kind of love for somebody else, and yet turned around and failed the very next breath. He says, it isn't like the kind of love that fails. It isn't like the kind of love that breaks hearts. How many of us in here, if we, were, if we had hours to talk about it, are grown adults who are today still dealing with broken love and broken hearts. We know that we should be able to get over it, and yet we can't seem to quite get out from underneath it. He says, isn't the kind of love that fails? Isn't the kind of love that breaks heart? Isn't the kind of love that gives up? I think probably most of us in this room have been in a place, not only where love has been given up, has people who have given up on us who said that they loved us, but we have said, you know what? It's just too hard to love you. I've got to give up. I've got to step away. Jesus says this kind of love isn't the kind that hurts most those that they say they love the most. It isn't the way it works. You're not hurt most by the person who cusses you out in the line at McDonald's. I know none of you go to McDonald's. Because nobody ever admits they go to McDonald's. <laughs> You're most hurt by the person who's closest to you. Who says that thing that sticks in your soul like a barbed wire. He says, this 
is the Father's love. This is what love in the Father's kingdom looks like. This is love. He says in verse 43 of Matthew 5, he said, you've heard it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Now you read that. The interesting thing is that nowhere in the Old Testament does it say that. It says you shall love your neighbor, but nowhere in the Old Testament did it say you shall also hate your enemy. But over time, things had happened, and as the Jewish scholars and leaders and teachers looked at that command, that they tried to figure it out, and they said, like, how can we love our neighbors? No, how can we love our neighbors, the people who are with us, who are like us, who get us, without hating those who are not like us, hating those who are set against us? The fact, the best way that we can possibly love our neighbor is to actually hate those who are against us. We love our neighbor to the exclusion of the others. And that kind of thinking is natural and it's wise. That's why they had come to teach it. It's a way that we protect the people that we love and love us and are important to us. And we set ourselves against those who are against me and against the people that I love. Is a part of, but it is a part of our fallen nature to turn inward and to turn to self-preservation. We turn inward. We protect ourselves. That's how racism begins inside the heart of a human being. That's, how, that's why it continues to plague us. That's why the other is always a problem. That's why Republicans hate Democrats and Southerners hate Northerners. I, I love all you guys, by the way, but... <laughs> It's why mustard barbecue people hate vinegar barbecue people. Like it's just the, it's just the other, it's the end, they, the other becomes the enemy and I hate them and I, because they are not for me. But Jesus comes and he says, you've heard it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, that's a very powerful phrase. Jesus comes consistently. If you've been walking with Christ for a while, you know he comes consistently to us with that kind of phrase. You have thought it should be this way, but I say to you this. And he says, but I say to you, and he issues an impossible, maddening command. He says, I say to you, I don't ask you, I don't suggest to you, I don't wish you could kind of. He says, but I say to you this, love your enemies. Thanks, Jesus. I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. But I say to you, love your enemies. He comes and he lays down a different standard. Your kind of love, you've been sold a bill of goods. You believe in your soul because you are so turned inward on yourself that love is self-preserving. Love is self-protecting. 
Love protects me and mine. And anybody who happens to be on the side of me and mine, I will protect you. But anybody who's outside and against that, you are my enemy and you are against me. Love protects self. We think love protects and is self-preserving. But he says, this I say to you, love is the kind of love that extends even to your enemies. And he says, this is why, four. Remember, he's a revolutionary who is representing a, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of the Father. He says, this is what love looks like in the Father's kingdom. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? When he says reward, it can kind of get confusing there. He's not like, what, what's the big deal about that? What kind of virtue is that if you love those who love you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? The Jews despised the tax collectors. Because they were other Jews who had, for the, their monetary gain, turned to serve a system that was incredibly unfair, that would tax their own patriots, their own, their own friends and family members, their own Jewish people, that would tax them in exorbitant rates in order to line their own pockets and line the pockets of the people who were above them. Don't the tax collectors even love those who love them in return? Don't the tax collectors even open the door for somebody who's going to open the door for you? Don't the tax collectors live in a a system of self-preserving reciprocity where you do for me and I do for you and we scratch each other's back? We call that in the South the Bubba system. In the North, you call it the family. And if you only greet your brothers, verse 47, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Don't, not even those who are far away from the heart and the family of God, don't they even greet a brother who's going to greet them in return? Jesus came to bring us back to God. He came to redeem us. And part of that he is telling us is to redeem our view of other people. It's to redeem our view of love or to redeem our love itself. He's showing us what love in the kingdom, what sonship love looks like. Verse 45, he says, so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. This is what the love of the father, what kingdom love, what sonship love, what, lo- what those who understand that they are part of God's family and are loved eternally and everlastingly and unconditionally and never giving upily by the father. This is the kind of love that they have. It's an utterly unique love to our broken concept of love. Kingdom love is a different way of viewing people. Kingdom love is a different way of viewing what others owe me and what I owe them in return. What he's saying is, is that kingdom love, sonship love, the father's kind of love extends. It doesn't, it doesn't, isn't just the kind of love that loves enemies. It's saying it's the kind of love that extends even to your enemies. Yes, love your neighbor. He's not saying don't love your neighbor. He's saying, yes, love your neighbor. But then Jesus, if you remember, you might remember, like Jesus had a whole other parable, a whole other interaction with somebody where they even talked about who is the neighbor. 
Jesus comes and revolutionarily redefines who our neighbors and who our enemies are. And he actually shows us that actually our enemies are our neighbors. And he does so as he's standing before those who are both his neighbors and his enemies as he's preaching this sermon. This is that, that, that parable, that example of that, uh, the Good Samaritan in Luke 10. A lawyer came to him and put him to the test and said, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said, but what's written in the law? How do you read it? And th- this is how the lawyer answered him. He said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind. So love God and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, you're correct. You've answered correctly. Go and do this and you'll live. But this man, this lawyer, is this, the scripture tells us he desiring to justify himself, to make himself look better, asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? And a lot of you guys know the story. Jesus told the story about a, a man who had uh, been beaten up by robbers and left for dead and three men walked past. One man was a, a, a priest and another man was a Levite. So holy men, men who knew the word, men who knew the command to love their neighbor. And they walked past him and they didn't do anything. But another man walked by a Samaritan. Now that doesn't mean the same thing to you and me. It would be kind of like this. It's like, a man was on his way to a Clemson game, clothed in his Clemson attire, and was robbers hit him, came up against him, left him to the side. A Clemson fan walked by, was late for the game, went right past him. Another Clemson fan walked past, late for the game, walked right past him. But a Carolina fan. <laughs> A Carolina fan walks by and picks the man up and cares for his wounds. It's your birthday, I'll allow it. And it took him to an inn and paid for his stay there and said, care for him, I'll come back for him. And if there's more that needs to be paid, I'll pay for that. And Jesus said, in that case, who was the real fan? Who was the real neighbor? Well, the man said, the guy who cared for him, the Samaritan, the enemy. And Jesus said, yes. The one who showed him mercy was the neighbor. Jesus is showing us that kingdom love extends all the way to our enemies. It's an elastic kind of love. It's the kind of love that stretches. It includes my my family. It includes my friends. It includes the people that laugh at the same jokes I laugh at, that watch the same kind of shows. But it extends further to those who actually, all the way to those who hate me and wish me harm and actually try to inflict harm upon me. He says, that's what kingdom love is like. That's what the love of the Father is like. It's an elastic love. Jesus isn't saying that everybody here is, he isn't saying that everybody is good and we should just get along with them. 
Jesus is living in the real world. He says, we have enemies. You have enemies. You have people who don't like you and possibly, probably you don't like in return. Jesus saying, saying that there are people who may have done and are doing and wish you harm. And he's saying that these are people you will have a natural urge to hate and to in turn wish them harm in return. But he says, those are the people that we are called to see as our neighbors who need our love. And who don't just need our love, but are loved by our father in heaven who has a kind of elastic kind of love that stretches all the way to you and to me. Who are your enemies? Do you have some personal enemies? The enemy sounds strong, doesn't it? Who do you have who personally, you just like, I hate that person if I'm honest. Who's somebody who like is, wishes you harm and you wish kind of harm in return? Who's that person whenever you hear that things are going poorly for, you would never say it out loud perhaps because you're a good Christian, but inside a part of you rejoices when you hear things are going poorly for them. Do you have any family enemies? Maybe it's a mother or a father or a brother or a sister, a husband, wife, ex-husband, ex-wife. Do you have someone who was close to you that turned into, that love turned into hate? Do you have any work enemies? You know, keep parking in your parking space or keep giving little jabs. You, you strongly suspect, but you can't prove that they are going to the boss with stories that paint you in a bad light and you can't seem to. arrival for that job or the person who got that promotion and you didn't get it and it just eats at you every single day that you go to the office. They're so selfish. Racial enemies. Political enemies. Religious enemies. Our nature is to turn anyone that isn't with us or for us into an enemy. And our culture reinforces that idea. We have an increasingly low lack of, we have an increasingly, increasingly, there we go. We have a lack of sympathy and empathy for the people who we don't agree with and who oppose us. Whether politically or culturally, religiously. I've heard I've heard Christian leaders saying things about other Christian leaders over the past few years that I cannot fathom, but our culture feeds our flesh that says anyone who's not for you is an enemy. I've had heard Christian leaders and Christian people say things about non-Christians because they oppose them politically or culturally, and it's astounding. But it's the water we breathe and we swim in is the air that we breathe. Jesus isn't painting a picture of the world with rose colored glasses, but it is, he is painting a picture of how the cycle of hate can be stopped. 
And what does that kind of love look like? He says, what does that kind of love look like? Did you, did you notice the, this word, this, this really powerful word in this passage? He says, let me find it. What more, verse 47, if you only greet your brothers, what more are you doing than others? That word more is a powerful word in this in this passage. That word more, these are different ways it could be uh, interpreted. It means utterly, it means abundantly, it means superfluous. I said that word without messing up too bad. Uh, he said surplus, it means surplus, it means excess, it means extraordinary, it means the peculiar. When he says, what more are you doing than them? He's saying that our kind of love for other people should be peculiar, it should be exceeding, it should be surplus, it should be abundant, utterly crazy kind of love for the person who is our enemy. What more are you doing than others? Jesus said in, verse, in, in Luke 6, he said, but I say to you who hear, love your enemies and do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. The Christian kind of love, the kingdom kind of love is a super love. It's a abundant, exceeding, peculiar, extraordinary kind of love. What is this kind of love? Well, this love would be warm, warm self-sacrifice, even for our enemies. Loving self-sacrifice, even for our enemies. I say loving because we all have had self-sacrifice where we just grit our teeth through it, right? But warm self-sacrifice, even for those of us who would be our enemies, the kind of love would be the kind of love that would have actually warm affection. He doesn't say just go and do good. He says to love them. And, in, and built up into that word is the picture of warm affection. He said it. How is this love shown? We see here in Luke 6, he says, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, and pray for those who, who abuse you. How do we show that kind of love all the way to our enemies? He says, we do it with our words. We bless them. We don't just bless them to their face, like that Southern blessing. We bless them when we talk to other people about them. We bless them when we're alone with ourselves. We don't just vent about people. We bless them. We do good. We, love is shown in deeds. We do good to those who hate you. And then he says in both Luke 6 and Matthew 5, pray for those who abuse you. Our love is shown in word and in deed and in prayer. And to whom is that love shown? It's shown to our neighbors and to our enemies, those who share our interests and outlook and those who wish ill towards us or who we wish ill towards, and especially to our enemies, especially to, to those who hate us. This is what Dietrich Bonhoeffer said. He's speaking specifically about how we love our enemies in prayer. He says, this is the supreme command 
Through the medium of prayer, we go to our enemy, stand by his side, and plead for him to God. Some of us, it would have to even start there because I can't yet bless my enemy and I can't find anything in myself to do good for them. So I have to go alone in my secret place of prayer and wrestle out there with the Lord. God, get me to the place where I can stand beside that person and plead for their best so that I can serve them indeed and I can bless them with my mouth. This kingdom love that we're talking about is the Father's love. Do you, do you feel the underlying impossibility behind all of this? I mean, what command could be a more outlandish command than to love your enemy? He, he could have just said, do good for your enemy. And we'd say, okay, we can possibly do that with gritted teeth, With clenched lips, we can do good. But he says, no, from your soul, from your heart, love them. And then we're stuck. How do I love them if I hate them? How do I love them if they hate me and they wish ill to me? How are we to change our thoughts and motivations to the point that we don't want to hate our enemies? How can we actually move to love them? Like, not just to love them, but even want to love them or want to not to hate them. Jesus says to love them. And he says that's how we exhibit our, the son, our sonship or daughtership of the father. He said this, in the end, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. That word perfect really means mature. There, you must therefore be, be mature or grown up as your heavenly father. You should, in other words, he's saying you should reflect your heavenly father and your maturity. To love your enemy the way that he loves his enemy. And how do we get, how do we do that? How do we get there? I've been thinking this week about something that's been pointed out to in a couple of commentaries that I saw. And that's Jesus' prayer. He didn't just tell us to pray, Father, forgive us our transgressions as we forgive those who transgress against us. But as the nails were going in his hand and as he hung on the cross, He prayed a prayer, and while the nails were going in, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. I don't think he prayed that prayer just once. I think he was praying it under his his breath the whole time through, Father, forgive them. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. As he is praying for the forgiveness of his enemies who are actually at that moment wronging him. He's also praying for his enemies as he was dying for his enemies. That's what kingdom love looks like. That's what the father's love looks like. It's the kind of love that prays for his enemies as the enemies are killing him, as he's dying for his enemies. That is the father's love. 
This is love. Jesus standing before them, not just telling them to do something that is impossible. He's showing them the path to get there and it is through him. It is only by looking at the Christ as Jesus who is taking those blows and praying that not only that they would be forgiven, but that we would be forgiven. And he's going through the motion so that we could be forgiven. That's what he came to do, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring us back to God. And it's only by seeing that kind of love that we can see, wow, I have a motivation. All of a sudden, that, that plank that I thought was in their eye, that evil I thought they had, I see I'm the evil one. I'm among those voices crying out in the crowd to kill him. I'm not the faithful ones beside him. I'm the ones crying out, and yet he's praying for me that I might be forgiven. Father, forgive them for they know no, they don't know what they are doing. They are your enemies, they are my enemies, but I came to bring them back to me. And it's only there that we can get the motivation and see the hope to be empowered to have that kind of love. Because what we end up knowing is it cannot be my love that loves my enemies. It has to be Christ's love, the man, the God man who cried out and prayed as the nails were piercing his skin. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. It has to be his spirit within me that cries out the same thing to those around me. Father, forgive them for they don't know what they are doing. Lord, Help me to see them the way that you see them. Break my heart that I am your enemy. You've brought me near so that not I can muster together love, but I could experience your love through me to them to be, allow me to forgive them, to pray for them, to bless them, and to do good for them. Because Christ, you have prayed for me You're praying for me now. You have blessed me when I deserved cursing. And you did good. And you still do good for me. You can't muster love for your enemy and yourself. You can only behold the one who loved you when you were an enemy. And let his love flow through you to them. But let's do that. Let's not let that kind of love stop at my own heart because I'm missing something if it stops there. This morning, we're gonna open communion. We're gonna have two stations like normal, one on either side. I want you to come forward and receive the broken body and the shed blood of Christ for you. That he did that crying out, Lord, forgive my enemy. They don't know what they do. And maybe you are thinking about now one or two or more enemies that you have that you haven't been able to muster the love for. As you come forward, if you're a Christian, say, God, help me to see your love and let your love flow through me to them. This morning, maybe you actually are an enemy of God still. Maybe you're still one of those rebels. See, Jesus' unfailing love for you this morning and accept his sacrifice on your behalf. Bow your knee to him and call him Lord. 
Would you like to have somebody pray with you for that? I'll be here. Grab somebody beside you. I'll be happy to pray with you. I'm going to pray. We're going to open up the front for communion. We're going to finish worshiping together. Jesus Christ, I thank you that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You died. The just for the unjust, the righteous for the unrighteous, that you might bring us to God. Lord, we pray that we would see and experience that love fresh this morning and that you would help us to exhibit that then to those who are around us. In the name of Christ we pray.